please know that we take no one's um, being here for granted. We are honored that each one of you takes time out to be here. 120 years ago, um, some gentlemen, and you notice I said all gentlemen, gra- um, would gather a couple of times a month, and I don't know where it was. Dr. Dr. Uh, Mazur probably knows, in some remote building downtown for 90 minutes, and they'd talk about the public affairs of Chicago. We've moved from that to this. And um, and this is a moderate room. You guys have been here. If any of you have been here where, where it's impassable, where you can't get past people, anybody been in the room then? It's kind of nice to breathe, right? Um, but so we've moved from that to this, and we take no one's membership for granted. Um, I was just talking to Michael, and he was saying that you know he's just a member, and that doesn't mean you know you don't have executives from you know the financial institutions who are just members. So um, we appreciate everyone being here, and we take nothing for granted. So thank you so much for your membership. And if you're not a member, um, Omar is not here, but he would be happy to take your membership from you. So. Um, this part of my job is super easy because Brandis does this every night at 5 and 10 or 5.30 and 10 or is it 5.30? See, she's like, no, get that time right, Jackie. Uh, 5.30 and 10. So for those of you who happen to be home at 5.30, um, make sure that you, because they've changed some times at uh, WTTW, so make sure you get your time right to watch her. Uh, I am going to decrease at this time. Um, Dr. Zige is... Um, all of our hero. Um, uh, Sarah Feigholz just said to me that she's my shiro. And, you know, it's a sobering thought to think that we made it through, um, we made it through 20 and 21. And um, I think sometimes we take that for granted. But if you, like me and everyone else, had the TV on at sometimes it was 11.30, sometimes it was 2.30, sometimes it was 3.30. You saw um, Dr. Artie and the Dr. ZK would come and give the um, the numbers for the day. Um, we're still here. And thanks to she and her great counsel and the work that she did, she's moved on to bigger and better and different things now, but we are grateful that she took on that job. So um, for that, I'd like to just give her a hand before she gets up there. It is still a rather sobering thought that, you know, we thought, well, we can just bump elbows and not touch each other, and then we move from that to what we entered into. And um, there is no better person to have a conversation with than Brandis because she just makes you feel like literally you're sitting in your living room having the conversation. So I am going to um, ask them both to come up to the stage at this time. And if you don't have your questions, there may still be some time to get some up to the podium. I cannot guarantee that Brandis will get to every question, um, but we will do our very best. Amanda will see you. She's in the corner. She will grab them from you and get them up to Brandis and we'll we'll watch our time and see how we're doing, okay? The stage is yours. You can, there's a step over here. If you guys want to come over here or you can just step up. Usually we have some so we have some some chivalrous young man who's usually there that <laughs> So the joke is we usually don't have a chivalrous young man up there to <laughs> Are you guys mic'd and ready? Are they mic'd and ready to go? I think so. Oh, there I am. Hello. All right, ladies. Thank you, Jackie. And thanks to all of you. Hello. How are you all? Oh, good. Awesome. And welcome to you. It's good to see you. Thank you. I feel like during the pandemic, a lot of us um, 
obviously we got used to seeing her, right, and hearing from her. And, and as Jackie said, because I want to start where Jackie left off, um, you were kind of you and and uh, Dr. Arwoody kind of guiding us through this whole mess, right? And then um, you moved on. Congratulations, you've been there for a year. But I think we kind of miss you, right? Because <laughs> we we haven't heard from you in a while. You've been kind of I know you've been there, but like, we just haven't talked. Um, and so it's good to be in conversation now. <laughs> thank you, thank you. It's good to be missed. <laughs> Um, I, I do, like I said, I want to I want to start off where Jackie left off um, because I, you all have been following the news, and we know that COVID it's, it's not gone. Obviously, I think a lot of us we've gotten very comfortable, and we can do things like this now, right? Like we can have lunch together in a room without masks and without panicking, and everybody having you know jars of of antibacterial gel in our pockets. Um, but give us a little reminder, right? Because there's a bit of an uptick that's been happening lately. Um, and, you know, kind of what, where are public, I know you're not necessarily, you're not directing IDPH anymore, obviously, and not serving the public health the same way you used to, um, but kind of remind us what we need to know and how we need to be thinking about this. Again, full disclaimer, I'm not wearing that hat. <laughs> and really, it's a big difference because I went from, you know, talking to people from the CDC literally every day, talking to my counterpart, my counterparts. Is this Wait, Okay. My go. counterparts um, around the country, all the you know, 49 other health state health officers, regularly texting, real time, um, following the numbers minute to minute to, you know, not. <laughs> but um, it, I mean, there's there are some things that obviously are are should be top of mind. Um, variants are are a thing, and you know they will the virus will continue to evolve because that's what viruses do. So that's not a a possibility that's the fact what we don't know is you know what those variants will will look like uh hopefully they're getting milder and milder but you know variants are a thing um you know my, my daughter uh adora stand up my daughter is here and um uh, shameless plug but i actually had a point to saying that I, I actually was trying to say because she's working this summer for a biotech company that's working uh, on additional COVID treatments. So that tells you that, you know, it's not gone. The fact that we're still going to need treatments means that people, you know, are continuing to be infected. Um, I think, you know, remembering that vaccinations are out there and that people obviously do much better with vaccinations than not. Um, I would throw out long COVID is something that we're all going to have to grapple with as, you know, millions of people have, have been infected and unfortunately a significant, a, a non-negligible portion of people have gone on to have long COVID or, or long haulers or whatever term is used. And so the medical communities definitely has to wrap their hands around that, study that, research that, figure out some of the, the treatments that will be necessary to help people manage now what has become a chronic disease. Um, I, I absolutely have physicians who are telling me that people have now come into their offices needing to apply for disability, that since that COVID illness, they have not been able to think straight to be able to maintain a job. So um, it is something that, you know, is with us. Um, but, you know, as, as we did in the throes of the heights of the pandemics, we will work together to make sure that we can mitigate some of these long-lasting effects. You just touched on it, um, you know, like you're not following the numbers, you know, sort of minute to minute the way you were. Um, I'm kind of curious. You've been at Sinai for a year now after spending, you know, two to three years very deep in, like you said, the height of the pandemic. Um, I'm kind of curious about, you know, how much of your time you spend thinking about COVID, you know, how much that is affecting the people that you and the Sinai system are caring for. 
and kind of you know how different your day to day is now, right? Like you've got other other priorities. Yeah. So um, we don't have as many COVID. Admissions, obviously, and, and in fact, the majority of people who do have COVID in the hospital, like maybe it was found out incidentally, as opposed to them being brought in for that. Um, I think one of the biggest questions that came up since I've been at Sinai regarding COVID was when we could relax um, the universal masking. Uh, and so I was like, uh, "Let's get rid of the mask," and they were like, "Huh?" Wait, <laughs> like, wait, huh? And I was like, "Well, you know, we do have." Evolved to that to that point, um, we were sure to not be the first hospital system. But as soon as we saw some others, they were like, "Okay, we're next." <laughs> you know? So that was the big thing. But we're we're fortunate that that does not make up the majority um, any anywhere near uh, the uh, majority of hospitalizations or even a significant number. But the fall and the change in weather as uh, temperatures drop, like that's the time that these um, viruses usually tend to have their uptick. And if we're going to learn anything from the previous um, upticks we've had uh, in all the past years, that uptick in the fall. So again, it's hard to know exactly what's coming. There might be something that's coming, but we'll have to kind of wait and see. And then one thing that we always did at the state is, you know, I kept in contact, not just with my state uh, state counterparts, but my p- partners overseas, like my friends in the UK um, were seeing things several months ahead of us. So looking to see what's going on there can also give us a little bit of a, uh, an idea of what might be to come, what might come here. Um, so shifting to, you know, what you've been up to the last year, how's it going? Why did you want to, <laughs> why did you want to lead Sinai? You know, it's um, many times I feel like the work that I get to do at Sinai and I'm so privileged. Uh, and I have many of the board members that actually put me in the role. Thank you to the board of Sinai. Um, it's a continuation of the work that I've done since I decided that I wanted to be a doctor. Um, when I went into medicine, I knew I wanted to take care of people. And so you're thinking about, you know, what field. And I just, I wanted to do, I wanted to be able to touch as many people as possible. Uh, and so that I made the decision to do both internal medicine and pediatrics. So I could do from you know, from just out of the womb to to the other end um, and, and really be able to focus on people that have often been um, neglected. So, you know, going to county and saying, like, that's where, you know, they take care of everybody without uh, respect of, you know, what's, you know, doing the wallet biopsy and figuring out what kind of insurance you have before you decide what kind of services. You know, county didn't do any of that. And Sinai, which is just a mile and a half away, is the exact same way. Um, even though it's a private, it's, it is absolutely taking everyone, welcoming everyone in the doors, regardless uh, of the ability to pay. And that's a, a, a very intense mission that is hard to maintain. Uh, because these services do cost, but they have maintained that for 104 years. And so I'm so honored to be able to further that work. And so what you just mentioned, right, about you know people being able to come to Sinai and get care, right, despite all the dot, 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 who's your insurance, do you have insurance? And I was doing some research on the term social safety net hospital, right, Um and I found an article that says, it's hard to define, right? Does it mean this? Does it mean that? And I guess I'm kind of wondering from you, you know, do you consider it a social safety net hospital or safety net hospital, essential hospital? And does it matter how we define it, right? Like, you do what you do, and would a definition help you do it better? Funding, understanding, support. I think it is important that we understand 
how Sinai is different from some of the other hospitals. I think if we don't understand what Sinai does, we can't really appreciate um, the depth and the complexity of what we are doing, how we are doing it, and what we need to be able to continue doing it. Um, I actually will tell you that on the federal level, they are looking for a special designation um, for hospitals like Sinai that are in an urban setting taking care of majority Medicaid. Uh, um, we take care of almost 70% Medicaid. Um, that is not, if anybody is going to open a hospital business, that is not what you're looking for. Um, but we are taking care of 70% Medicaid. Um, and then you would say, oh, well, the rest is private insurance. No, like maybe 5% is private insurance. So we welcome anyone here because I'm sure you have <laughs> private insurance. Um, so we have Medicaid, uh, small amount of Medicare, and almost no private insurance. So um, really thinking about how we are really supposed to you know, keep the lights on and keep people paid and make the necessary upgrades on Medicaid reimbursement as opposed to, uh, you know, private insurance. Like, that's math that doesn't really work. And so it is important for everyone to understand that that's what we're doing. And so at the federal level, they're talking about a designation MA, uh, Metropolitan Anchor Hospitals, to describe hospitals like us rooted in the city, um, often in, in urban uh, very urban areas, uh, code for often, you know, uh, under-resourced communities where it would be largely Medicaid, and, and really think about how do we want to support these MAs, these essential hospitals, these safety net hospitals, so that the people who are served by these hospitals, who right now, the people who are served by Sinai have that 16 years loss of life compared to people who live here, right, where we're eating now. And so if we believe that that's a problem, I do, and I'm sure that many of you do, then what do we need to do for these MAs, these essential hospitals, these safety hospitals, to allow them to be able to support that population? And of course, we all know it's not just the healthcare, um, and that's something that Sinai recognizes and has been recognizing for a long time, that there are so many pieces that are necessary to make sure that that 16-year loss of life between the communities that we serve and, and just coming here downtown, that we can do that in the healthcare space, in the job space, in the transportation space, in food food space, housing space, all working, working all of those pieces together to affect a better outcome for the residents uh, of the southwest and west sides of Chicago, just understanding that a, a rising tide lifts all boats, and Chicago is only as great as, um, you know, the areas that are the weakest, and, and we need to bring bring all groups up. Uh, meanwhile, so you, you mentioned 70% of your patient population is on Medicaid. We just ran a story last night that for a lot of people, the redetermination is happening for people who are on Medicaid, and thousands of folks are coming off of it, um, either because they didn't complete the paperwork or they're no longer eligible. You may watch that story on Um But <laughs> so you've got that, right? Um, and so that's, that's only one example, maybe, of how uh, the federal support that hospitals like yours received during the pandemic how some of that support is going away. And really, that was just, you know, sort of a rule that they that was laxed, you know, during uh, during the pandemic. What does it mean then, though, if if instances like that and, you know, any other funding that's not happening anymore? What does that mean for the people that you serve? Yeah. So 
every single day we're, you know, on, on this shoestring budget and any mild perturbation can, can be very seismic, uh, for a place that doesn't really have, you know, big margins. So the redetermination is something that we talk about, uh, every single day because, you know, it is fantastic that during the, the height of the pandemic that nobody on Medicaid lost their insurance. And that was really important. That's the, that is the time in history where the most, the highest percentage of people were insured in this country. And you would want it not to be that only in the midst of a pandemic that you would have uh, people with that access, but that's what it was. But now, you know, the, the day of reckoning has come and it's not even so much that people uh, don't qualify anymore. Some of those people don't qualify. Like if you've gotten a job that has, you know, work employer based insurance, fine, use that. But some of it is just that, oh, you're not at the address that you were three years ago. And that's where we sent the paperwork. And, oh, you didn't get the paperwork. You didn't fill it out. You get thrown off the roll. So that's some of the things that we're facing. Uh, and that means that those people will still come and get care because we don't turn anybody away. But it means that there's even less reimbursement for a system that's already, you know, really stretching out everything. And so really thinking about, you know, what are the other ways that we can support systems like ours? Because we want them to to increase the services and resources that they give in the community and not keep figuring out uh, what to cut back in order to to keep the keep the lights on. Um, let's talk a little bit about some of the, the community partnerships that Sinai has. Um, what are some of them? Tell us about oh that. <laughs> well, and there's one in particular that, that I'm interested in. That's okay. the community health workers. Um, but from your perspective, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's a ton. I'm I'm curious about how those partnerships serve Chicagoans. I, I absolutely believe that there's no way. Um, well, I don't think anyone should survive without partnerships. I think it's all about partnerships. I think almost everyone in this room, you somehow have a, a partnership uh, with us. And so I think that is the. What, what did I just hear? Um, I think Commissioner Deer just said it yesterday. Somebody said it like, if you, you know, if you want to go fast, you go alone. But if you want to go far, you, you go with, with people, right? And so this work is so critical. It can't be done alone. It, it, it depends. It depends on partnerships. So there are endless numbers of partnerships. And, and, and my job, I feel like, is to identify and create more possibilities for those partnerships. Um, we need more people at the table. We need corporate sponsors to say, hey, I have a a, a strong a presence in the city of Chicago. I'm invested in supporting Chicago, all of Chicago, all parts of Chicago, and I want to invest in helping you take care of the patients that you serve. We have great partnerships with foundations all uh, all through the city that are very generous and kind. We have individual uh, sponsors and partnerships, uh, companies, corporations, um, other health systems. I'm really trying to increase the relationship between uh, Sinai and, and other hospital systems, especially, you know, some of the more resourced uh, hospital systems. I think they have an, uh, an opportunity to be able to really have even greater impact. Uh, when we were talking about health equity, look to me, <laughs> look right here, look no further than Sinai. You know, 100%, I mean, 99, 98, 98% of our patients uh, are... Uh, 
Latino, African American, and, and really have some of the worst outcomes. So if we really want to make a dent, um, supporting us is a is a great way to, to get there. So we are open for partnerships. <laughs> <laughs> open, for, uh, open for partnerships. There's one audience question that fits in right here. Um, someone asks, can you touch on the importance of partnerships, which we just just discussed, not just linkage agreements with local smaller businesses to move your agenda forward. So I'm curious then about, um, obviously, a lot of your partnerships, like you said, with foundations, I imagine a lot of community-based organizations, um, but, you know, are there businesses and what is their role? No, of course. We are we're intentional about trying to support businesses in the community. In fact, we are part of creating, uh, you know, very, um, very creative business mixed with civic organizations, with the city, with, uh, with the city, with the philanthropic organizations, with private business, where we've created a Ogden Commons, uh, building across the street from Sinai, which has medical use. We have clinics in there. We have dialysis. Um, we also have, um, a space for a restaurant to encourage uh, a business uh, from the community to come and take up shop there. There's a there's a bank. Um, there's a there's a coffee shop. Uh, and then the the next phase, which they've already broken ground on, is to create 92 units of affordable housing. Uh, so really understanding that these are all the things that are necessary. And you know we have other projects that are coming right behind to bring a grocery store. I mean, I know many of us are in places where you can't imagine not having a grocery. You know, I could go to Trader Joe's or or Mariano's or like. Whole Foods, like all within a mile and a half. And to think of neighborhoods not having a single grocery store, like that is a real reality in many of the communities. And so being able to think about how we're going to create the partnerships to make that happen, that's something that we spend a lot of time on as well. So I mentioned the community health workers um, and the Sinai Urban Health Institute. Uh, Suey? Suey. Suey. Um, which is just cute to say. I lived in Arkansas for a while as well, so some of you know what Suey also. Um, so, <laughs> thank you. You get it. Um, so, I want to talk about like the community health workers, the work that they do, but also um, how they impact health outcomes for the people you serve. Yeah. So, I, I, I don't know if everyone knows what CHWs, if you want to use another term CHW. to show your I had to look it up. <laughs> community health workers, but um, there are very few things that are a win, 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 win. Um, and community health workers are, there you go. are win, win. <laughs> are, are, are one such entity. Community health workers are individuals who in most cases don't have a college degree. They're high school graduates who get a, a um, an intensified uh, education and training uh, on being a support in the community. Sometimes there could be a focus on asthma uh, or it could be something related to to uh, pregnancy and, and the pe- pre, you know perinatal period. Uh, and those individuals get trained. I, I'll tell you that at SUI, at, at Sinai, is one of the you know, architects in terms of creating curriculums for community health workers, being able to train community health workers, and then being able to do the research to prove that they actually uh, cre- create big ad. And so community health workers, for instance, at Sinai, and this is something that we've been doing for decades now, um, 
community health workers have been proven that they were sent to follow up on patients after they were discharged with an asthma hospitalization. So you had asthma. Asthma does literally kill people. Um, you survived. You were discharged home. Do you have um, the information and the tools that you need to ensure that you don't bounce back and get readmitted. And so these community health workers that were specifically trained in asthma follow up in the home. There's the community part of the community health workers. They are from the community and they're going into the homes of people in the community after discharge to check on them and say, hey, did, did you get all the inhalers that you were supposed to have? Did you get the, the prednisone? Did you get this medicine? That Do you understand what you're supposed to be doing with that? Do you have a number to call? When is your follow-up appointment? It hasn't been made. Let's make your follow-up appointment so we can make sure that it, like those, that little touch, that warm touch, that follow-up in the home with somebody from the community resulted in a 40% decrease in asthma readmissions, right? And so they have that kind of data for all the um, interventions that these uh, community health workers are doing. And so the other side of it is that this community health worker um, now has a very valuable skill as part of the health team. They are literally making a difference in the health of their community. They are gainfully employed with a livable wage with, you know, benefits of their own that they can now take care of their family and have insurance for their family. And so... I always think of that as just this, you know, tremendous win. Uh, and so we're trying to uh, really promote that and also get insurances to be the ones to pay for these services because this is an important part of the health milieu. What are what are some of the challenges with running a program like that? Because um, in my head, I'm like, is it wages? You mentioned benefits. Yeah. The job description I read can kind of be confusing because different communities and, and organizations may describe it differently. Um, training and career development and advancement. Funding. Go on. <laughs> Where <laughs> are that, they? <laughs> all of that. All of that. No, no. I mean, those, I mean, you know rewind, you know, a year and a half. And we were talking about that at the state, like, can we create a certification program so that everyone who's going to call themselves that has gotten this, this set of pieces of education and that, you know, is there a test or something so that we can standardize this and thinking that that would be the first step you know, having some kind of accreditation or certification program that from there you could move on to getting actual reimbursement um, from from insurance. So there's a lot of work to be done on that. In the meantime, whether we have that or not, or the reimbursement, this is an important uh, this is an important adjunct, uh, very critical part of the healthcare team and. Given what we went through with um, the nursing shortage, when you know so many people either left the workforce um, as a nurse from really the trauma they were facing dealing with COVID, uh, versus people who left to be traveling nurses, you know there was a significant um, shortage of of clinicians of of nurses, and so those community health workers actually, you know, they're not nurses, but they were able to help uh, and really extend the the staff that we did have with some of their support because we're starting to bring them in the hospitals to help them uh, help them with you know patients in the hospitals uh, as well as you know in the community. So I think there's just a I would say limitless uh, possibilities and opportunities with this, but we do need the support, the funding to be able to make this sustainable. As long as we're on it, because I had that question, what would a more sustainable funding model look like? 
for safety nets for community health workers, obviously, like we need we need them to to get the be able to reimburse for their services, like other um, members of the medical health team. Um, right. In the absence of that, you know, safety nets are bearing a big brunt because we are using them and, and we are, you know, we are covering them um, without, again, without having really the extra resources to cover this. I, I mean, I think we're all friends here, right? You know? <laughs> we're going to talk. It's just us. It's just it's us, us girls, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the real question is, you know, when you're thinking about safety nets or MAWs or essential hospitals, um, do we really think that everybody deserves adequate health care? Yeah. I mean, that's the question that's at stake. Yeah. And I'm not sure that the answer is yes. We don't act like the answer is yes. We have a tiered system of, of health care based on who you are, what you have, uh, where you went, what, you know, do you have education? Do you have money in your pocket? What kind of job you have? We don't actually think that everybody gets the same. Like, you know, we are literally, you know, often fighting to say like, look, I, I know this is not covered, you know, by this insurance, but it is, it is covered by someone who has this insurance, but this is the same disease, whether you're poor or you're rich, right? And so treating it differently, not having access to the same medicines, not having access to whether it's continuous glucose monitoring or whether it's this medicine or that medicine, that tells me that we don't actually think that everybody deserves the same care, even if it's for the exact same illness. And, and, you know, let you in on a secret, these people who have traditionally not had access to all the things that someone over here has, their, their conditions have gotten worse and, and more severe. So if anything, they need more and, and instead they're on the, on, the, on the side of getting less. And so that's really what I feel is my job to raise, raise visibility to that issue and really get that, um, that communion of people that uh, believe that and say that we're going we're gonna to do something about this so that we can stop just talking but be about something. Yeah. Um, before I move over to audience Q&A, because we have a few that have already been submitted. I think I asked one of them. Um, I'll come back to the other two. We have to talk about violence. Um, because Sinai is known for being a hospital to receive a lot of victims of violence because of its position. And as we said, people can get care there. Um, but in addition to, you know, to treating the victims of violence, right, in the acute days, like when they come to you with something, what does it mean for the people who live in a community um, that is plagued by violence? What is their health like? Yeah. I think we're all starting to understand the effects of trauma. I think we're getting a deeper level of that now because we all went through this intense traumatic experience, which was COVID. And I think, I don't think that there was anyone who comes out of that completely unscathed. There are obviously levels, um, but we've all um, been traumatized. And so if someone wants to, you know, put on their, their empathy cap and their compassion cap and think about what they've been through in terms of the trauma of seeing such devastating illness and loss, and then can extrapolate that to people who see that daily, even before there was COVID, and have consistently seen that 
in certain communities just day in and day out for generations, like, I think you can start to understand how significant um, the fact, those effects would be on a, not just an individual, but a community of people that are all experiencing that together. Uh, and so really thinking about how we, well, obviously we want to curb the violence, right? But in addition to having to curb the violence, we need to figure out the strategies to support those who are enduring that. And I think some simple things that people can do, just, you know, think about on a regular basis is, you know, knowing who you're interacting with. I mean, you can't look at someone and understand um, what they've been through or what their experience is. And that's why I think it's so important to, you know, people... I, I got in trouble once, like cyber. Like I got in trouble once because I was asking so many questions because my my style is very relational, and so I get very nosy. Like I want to know about family, I want to know about your kids, and then I'll be asking. And I I often remember like birthdays because like if it's the same as my kid, then I'm I'm sending you a birthday card for your kid because I know it's the same as my kid. Um, but I got in trouble because I was asking all these questions, and someone um, reported me to HR and said like. They were just very intrusive. And I'm like, oh, okay. So we don't need to work together, (laughs) you know, and we fix that. But, uh, but the, the, the truth is that, you know, if you don't know, you know, who you're working with, what you're dealing with, you, you can't, you can't get beyond surface level. Um, you can't understand that the reason that they were just kind of acted out of pocket, out of themselves was because something triggering just happened. And you know that, you know, when you talk about, you know, gun violence, like this mother's son was killed three years ago, right? Like just really understanding. So, I mean, I always say like, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And so I think you have to care. You have to go a little deeper, get to know people. uh, And then you can kind of get at what people are, you know, if you're, if you've developed that relationship, people can open up and then you can actually get to a place of being able to support somebody who's going through a lot. But obviously we need something systematic, system-wide, statewide, countrywide, worldwide to really address um, mental health, destigmatize, be able to talk about these issues very openly. I, I know that the mayor yeah, is really lifting this as a, as a major issue and trying to figure out how we will address this. He's talking about mental health centers and whether we have mental health centers all across the city or we're using, you know, the services that are available at places like Sinai, there's a lot of work to be, a lot of work to be done in that space. I know that was really long. No, it's okay. It's totally okay. Cause that's what we're here for. We're here to hear from you. And I, did you guys hear that? I wrote it down. People don't care that you know until they know that you care. Hi, Amanda. Um, that's a good one. Um, okay. So I am going to pivot to, that's my subtle hint to pivot to audience questions. Amanda's. Um, one of them we already asked, and this one I meant to ask earlier and I skipped over. Um, if you had to do it over again, is there anything you might have done differently in addressing the COVID epidemic? Can't get past that one. Can't get over COVID. <laughs> yeah, everything. Sure. I mean, I don't know. Like, I, you know, I, I've gone into restaurants. You know, I try to think that I'm low key, especially when I change up my hair. Then you, you don't know who I am because a lot of people are like, "You look familiar," and I'm like, mm. you know, like, keep up. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I get that a lot too. You know, yeah. right? And so then I can, I can try to book before they realize. You know, but I, you know, I've sat in restaurants and then. You know, the, the owner will come up. I know who you are. I'm like, oof. Yeah. It's like, you messed me up. <laughs> you know, and it's like, it, it was, of course, so many restaurants didn't survive. Like, I, I get that. I think 
the premise I was starting with um, was that, you know, if you can try to minimize the loss of life at the front, um, then at least you're alive to try to fix the, the downstream effects, right? But if everybody is just gets infected and, and dies right off the front, uh, there's, there's nothing to fix. There's nothing to fix. But that, that, I mean, either way is tough, right? I knew some people that were saying like, all this attention on nursing homes, whatever, they've lived their life. And I'm like, oh, I, I, I guess that's one way. And people were like, I mean, you know, let the, let the, what they say, let the strong survive, let the weakest fall off. And you're just like, okay. I mean, like, there are different, there are different ways, right? There's so many ways to, to slice that. I think, you know, I, I tried to, uh, listen a lot. I think, I think, you know, thinking about the restaurant specifically, which, who I know really suffered, you know, if we could have, you know, right, if we could have given them money right at the outset to say, um, here, you know, as if there's unlimited pockets of money, right? But if we could just give out money and say, here, you know, we've seen that some of these bars, these crowded bars have been super spreader, uh, locations like we've got to we've got to get this under control while we're still you know trying to get you know get vaccines do this do that you know can you partner with this on this and you know maybe we can support you this way like maybe that could have had some more of the buy-in instead of you know people just kind of doing whatever they want because they felt like they were being attacked because they were in a business that you know was identified as a as a quote risky business but yeah, I, I second guess myself all the all the time. Um, but I, I mean, obviously, I, I would like to say that I was doing the best that I could, assembling all the information that I had. In hindsight, being twenty twenty, it's so easy for everyone to be like, "Yeah, that wasn't right. That wasn't right." And I'm like, "Yeah, I wish I had that you know opportunity to see the future too." But I, I don't. <laughs> and we're here now. It's not my superpower. We're here. Yeah. <laughs> um, another question, and I feel like we've we've kind of been talking about this, um, and so maybe this is we can sum something up here, and then we can try and get to the other two before we're out of time. This question, it, it, she makes a great point. The need is so great. Where do we start to begin to meet the challenge of health inequities across the city? What is the role for all healthcare institutions? And I think you've talked a bit about you know about what Sinai is doing. Yeah. What is the role of all healthcare institutions? No, I think um, we did something pretty amazing in COVID where the healthcare institutions were, especially in the city of Chicago, it, it really wasn't about this institution or that institution. Like all the institutions were coming together to figure out what can we do together. There were, you know, I, I will highlight my, my buddy, my partner, Dr. Uh, Omar uh, Latif, who at Rush, like, just would take any COVID patient from around the city, anybody that that needed uh, a bed, that needed the extra services that maybe uh, a smaller hospital couldn't um, couldn't do. He, he, you know, he took that, um, and there was just you know the work that was put together to create the. Um, I've, I I can't believe I've forgotten the name, but we they created like a. It wasn't a hospital, but it was a, a medical outlet at, at um, McCormick where people could go if we had this, you know, significant overflow and exhausted every bed. All the health systems worked together to put that together to have that plan in place. Fortunately, we didn't need it because it didn't get, you know, that bad. But we worked together to have that that backup. And so really just 
kind of putting that mindset back together and figuring out like it's still that same one Chicago. We still really do have this existential crisis where we have some members of our community that are not faring well. And I think there's um, opportunity for collaboration. I think um, I think we're moving in that direction. And I'm, I'm really hoping that we can make some significant strides all working together. Um, this question, uh, as I work with families living with developmental disabilities, what are the side effects of the COVID vaccine and booster? Yeah. I mean, we will, we will, we will be seeing, I know, I know when people would ask, well, what's going to be the side effects of the vaccine 10 years from now? It's like, I can't tell you because <laughs> uh, no one has had it. I can't say definitively. Um, I think as we uh, move forward, we, we will see the effects. I know one of the effects of the vaccine that we're seeing just, you know, what, two years, we got the vaccine December, 2021. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, no, no. December, 2020. We got December 17th, 2020. We got, um, we are three, two and a half years out, and we do see such a significantly decreased rate of morbidity and mortality. So that's a fantastic side effect of this vaccine. Um, the, the long-term effects, you know, usually just, this is just vaccinology. Usually the untoward uh, effects of vaccines happen in the first eight weeks. Um, that's what we know from other vaccines that have been out there. And so you think that most of the severe uh, mal effects you would have seen. But can I say exactly what will happen to the developmentally disabled population several more years out? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not able to. Science hasn't told us that one yet either. Right. Um, I think we've got time for one more, one more. And this one is a good one. Although, and I, don't, I don't usually call out the people who wrote the question, but it's a good one. And I might need help with your handwriting. Um, <laughs> Dr. Ezekiel has illuminated the health disparity reality like a Michelangelo statue from the stone. <laughs> Did I get it right? Dennis? Yes, thank you. Oh, there you are. Hi. Um, what can we do? What can we do? What can we do? Well, and, and I mean, and I was going to ask that question anyway. What can we all do? What, what can everybody be doing? Yeah, I, I think we all need to be aware of the issue. I think hopefully many people are. And then we need to figure out within our sphere, what's our role? Everyone's role is not the same, right? We have some people who um, are part of organizations that are able to uh, support some of these communities uh, that we know are struggling. Like it's not, we're 77 communities in, in Chicago. We know the ones that have more issues with housing insecurity, food insecurity, you know, have transportation issues, uh, have a higher rate of people re-entering from incarceration. So we know the communities that need help. What, I mean, I think people have to ask themselves, what is my niche that I can insert my myself, my organization, my corporation, my dollars into to make, to make a difference? Uh, I'm not here to plug Sinai, but yes, obviously Sinai has a lot of opportunities for people to support that work because Sinai doesn't just do healthcare. Like I said, we, we're working with the community health workers. We are in the community already working on all these different pieces, understanding that healthcare is not just uh, the result of what happens with the doctor or the nurse or, uh, or inside the walls of the clinic or the hospital. But I, I think there are so many places, uh, whether if, if you're in the education space, if it's uh, really supporting education. I mean, I mean, if we go there, like there's so much, right? I just, uh, you know, my kid is preparing uh, for school and, you know, at 
at their junior high, everyone gets an iPad. Everyone gets an iPad, um, and, and that's how a lot of schoolwork is done. And then you have certain schools, you know, in the communities that serve, that are served by Sinai, where people are struggling to get, to get books. Um, and so really, like, looking at whether it's at the, at the civic level and making, uh, making your voice heard. And I know we have so many of our wonderful legislators here. Thank you for your support. You know, we, we have to make sure that we start early. Um, the problems that we see downstream started way back with some of the opportunities that weren't granted to people as they were coming out of the womb. And so if we look at all those different steps, there's so many places to intercede and intervene. And I think we need to start doing that with some significant intentionality. Help me thank Dr. Everybody has their walking orders now. Um, <laughs> uh, thank you to Dr. ZK for allowing me the opportunity to have this discussion. I don't think we, I think we had only met once or twice in person before the pandemic. And then after that, all of our interviews were via Zoom. So it's good to be back in person with you. Uh, I'm going to turn it back over to Jackie now. Well, I'm a little biased, but these are two pretty awesome ladies who... Um, Senator Feigenholz, I see what you mean. Um, and just so you know, we were sitting at the table and she gave me some advice. So um, Dr. CK is kind of awesome. Uh, 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 we were just talking about that sitting at the table. How many other healthcare institutions are represented here? Lori's, somebody else back there. Oh, that's right. We got we got plenty of folks here. Uh, the the comment that Dr. ZK made that you know is is and healthcare issue is a healthcare issue is a healthcare issue. You know, if you've got high blood pressure, it. I think Peter and I don't look the same, but you know, and I don't know that he has blood, high blood pressure, or neither do I. But you know, it's still high blood pressure, right? So thank you for sharing that with us. And there's so much more. She's just so awesome, and I, I use that word because I don't have another awesome word to use. Um, I feel like, um, Deborah, I'm not sure if your question was completely answered, so feel free after we're done to, um, it was about dis dis disabled disability, so we could talk a little more about that. Um, I did have a question, and I should have probably asked it. Are we supposed to be getting, like, a booster? <laughs> yes. <laughs> actually don't know if something new came out. I know that after, I mean, everyone in here has a different, you know, uh, history. And so they're governed by different rules based on age, based on what, you know, medical conditions, mm -hmm. et cetera. And, and then also like what you've already done. And so I think, uh, I, actually I take that back because some people could be just have had two. Some people could have been on their fourth, or, you know, so we could talk offline, but I don't I feel think like that. I'm on my like 18th shot, but you know, <laughs> we'll figure it out and then you can we'll, watch. We'll the figure video. it out. Right. Oh yeah. Right. Um, Brandis, what time are you on tonight? Five 30, five 30. Please don't miss Brandis. Um, we will continue this conversation as we do most. That's what we do here at the city club of Chicago. We have the conversation. So, um, I thank everyone for being here. We have a couple of things we have to do. And oops, and that is to um, share our uh, certificate of a year membership to both of you. And um, I hope that you both use them. Thank you. 
Brandis, I think you. <laughs> I think Brandis is starting to overlap. She's got like a few. I think I think my last one is just expiring. Okay, okay. <laughs> my so, last free membership. <laughs> and we do encourage folks to use them. So um, I, I think this whole conversation about healthcare is much of what we talk about. By Wheeler is what we talk about. Um, in Chicago as a whole, right? Um, 77 communities, and we certainly don't all look the same, but we certainly should be getting the same health care at a minimum, right? Isn't that right? I mean, that's right, right? Yeah, I think so. So that said, um, I feel like Amanda is always working on great programming. Um, you will see more coming. Uh, Dan and I were just talking. It seems like this is a conversation that we still need to have more conversation about. Um, this, you know, I'm like, is it like my flu shot? Do we, you know, I, I figure if I made it through the shingle shot, Yes. Has anybody else had that? <laughs> Did anybody else go home and go to bed after that second one? Yes. I was like a baby. <laughs> it was terrible. But I figure if I made it through that, I can make it through anything. So um, let's make sure that we all take care of ourselves wherever you wherever you get your health care. Um, just make sure you're taking good care of yourself. Thank you so much for being here. And we look forward to the fall lineup. Please take a look at it. If you um, want to be here, Make sure you get your seat early, okay? Thanks so much. And um, we're going to do a quick picture up here, and then people can come up because I know they're going to talk to you.